Support for all the books comes from Third Love, the lingerie brand using real women's measurements to design better fitting bras. Did you know that 80% of women are wearing the wrong bra size? With Third Love, it just takes 30 seconds to answer a few questions to find the perfect fitting bra for you, all from the comfort of home. Third Love stands behind their product so much that our listeners can try one for free for 30 days. You just pay upfront for shipping and returns and exchanges are always free and easy. Visit thirdlove.com books to get started. Listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 95, and today we are talking about books released on February 21st, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Hello, hello. Hi there. How was your weekend? It was okay. Yeah. I did a lot of reading. Me too, but I kind of like struck out a million times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have a lot of luck with titles for today. Yeah, so we're going to do, I guess we got we each have some new releases, but we're going to do kind of a potpourri show, which happens sometimes. Uh, and I always feel a little bit bad when it happens, but also okay, because I know that our listeners all know what that's like to pick up a book and be like, this is going to be great. And then it just doesn't like, it's not the thing you need at that moment. And then you pick up something else and that thing doesn't ring your bells. And you just kind of like flail around until you finally just give in and pick up the thing that you've been looking at for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> like That's okay. what I did. I read a lot of backlist this weekend Yeah, um, after I tried to read a lot of frontlist, but I mean, I have some, some good ones. I had to save some of them for the newsletter. So if you're not signed up for the new books newsletter, you should, because I yeah. talk about some there too. Yeah. I have some, some good frontlist. I also can blame some of this on, uh, I just binged through the second season of crazy ex-girlfriend. <laughs> I'm like halfway <laughs> through right now. Uh, which is ridiculous and wonderful. And we have like spring has tried to arrive in Richmond. So it was sunny and beautiful yesterday. And I was trying to read really heavy books because they were the things that were coming out this week that I was like, I should be reading this book. And I just kept finding myself like sitting there listening to birds for 10 minutes at a time. (laughs) So like, I I don't know, listeners, let us know how it is for you. But at least for me, sometimes I need my reading material to match, you know, what the weather feels like. Yeah. Um, Before we get started, I just want to say that, like, last week after mentioning it and apologizing um, for pronouncing Bill Shutt's name wrong, um, I went ahead and pronounced Bill Shutt's name wrong again. Like, after I finished talking about the cannibalism book, I was, like, listening to it. I was was playing it for my boyfriend. I was like, listen to me talk like a crazy person about cannibalism. And then I was like, oh, I said his name wrong again. So maybe it could be like my Jimmy Kimmel, Matt Damon thing. Like at the end of each show, I'd be like, I'd love to pronounce Bill Shot's name right, but we ran out of time. (laughs) I just, yeah. So oh, sorry I again. To, we're sorry, Bill Shut. I meant to send it to you. There was a piece in the Washington Post over the weekend about is cannibalism natural? <laughs> I guess <laughs> it depends like, on who you're asking. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but the fascination with it seems to be. Yeah. Uh, so I'll find it. I'll find it and send it to you. I thought of you. Are uh, you ready to hear I about am. my first book? Tell me all about it. Okay. But actually, I can only tell you a tiny bit about it because if I tell you all about it, it would give a lot of way. Okay, fine. Tell but me it's a really little bit good, about it. And I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's called I See You by Claire McIntosh. She wrote I Let You Go, 
last year, which I absolutely loved. You might remember that about the lady mm-hmm. and the car accident and the little kid. Um, this one is fantastic as well. It takes place in England. It'll have you thinking more about technology and the cameras and speakers and everything in your home. Um, it's it's kind of uh, creepy in that way. It's about a woman named Zoe Walker. She lives with her boyfriend and her teenage daughter and her son. Um, and she takes the subway into work every morning. And one day she's on the subway and she looks down and she sees a folded newspaper. And there's an ad with a picture of a woman. And she realizes that the woman in the ad, it's its just a lady sitting there on a subway. It's a picture of her. Like someone has taken a picture of her on the subway and oh. put it in the newspaper and all that it says is findtheone.com and has a phone number. And she's like, um, what is this? Like, <laughs> this is creepy. I'm, and so she brings it home and she shows it to her boyfriend and her kids. And they're like, are you sure that's you? And she's like, I'm like, I'm like, yes, I'm almost positive. It's, they're like, well, it's kind of grainy. It might not be you, you know. And she's like, I'm almost positive this was me sitting on the subway the other day. And so they're like, well, let's call the number. And they call the number and it's like, this number is not in service. And she's like, oh, what is this about? But now she's, like, all creeped out, and so the next day, or a few days later, I can't remember, she checks the paper again, and there's this ad, and there's a picture of a woman, and a few days later, she sees this same woman on the news because she has been murdered. What? Yeah, yeah. And so then she starts looking into it. She meets a very nice, kick-ass lady cop named Kelly, who she talks to, she's like, I think it's this is crazy, but this is me. And then they discover that a lot more women who have appeared in these ads have turned up dead or have been the victims of violent crimes. And now she's like, who is doing this? Like, who knows enough about me that they, like, put me in this creepy ad? Like, who is taking care of this? And in between, like, each of the, or every couple chapters, so, like, there's one told from Zoe's point of view and one from Kelly's point of view. There's also a creepy stalker chapter where they're like, I'm watching you and this is what you're doing and... And, like, her paranoia is increasing, and, and the the person, like, what what is happening to her, like, somebody close to her has to know these details. You know, how are they finding out these things about her? Who can she trust? It's super creepy. So, yeah. I don't know how you read as many thrillers as you do, and I was going to say get any sleep at all, but, like, well, we, we know that you don't sleep much. But, like, how do you go out into the world when it's like, well, someone could be taking a picture of me, and then they're going to yeah. put it in the newspaper, and then they're yeah. going to kill me? It, like, really makes you, it really makes you think. Um, but, yeah, I don't really sleep anyway, so it's fine if I'm, like, <laughs> paranoid and awake. Like, I just, I would tell you, I just got retainers, and they were like, now wear this, just wear these when you're sleeping. And I'm like, well, but uh, that would only be for, like, two hours, so they're like, okay, when you normally be sleeping you put them in I'm like okay Wait, when everyone else goes to bed <laughs> like when everyone else is in bed yeah um so again the book is called i see you by clara mcintosh and it's awesome Oh, man. Okay, my first one is a heartbreaker. It's Traveling with Ghosts by Shannon Leone Fowler. Uh, This is a memoir. When she was in her late 20s in 2002, she and her fiancé were traveling in Thailand together. They had had a beautiful day. They were all relaxed. They were just splashing around in the surf, not very far from their hotel, when all of a sudden her fiancé made noises like something had hurt him and ran out of the water and collapsed on the sand. In the couple of minutes that it took her to run back to their cabana to get something to try to help him, he died. Um, And 
that was it. It was sudden. It turned out that he had been stung by something that they later conclude must have been a box jellyfish, which is the most venomous jellyfish, maybe the most venomous animal on the planet. Uh, he So he collapses and dies, and she is left in Thailand knowing no one, not speaking the language, uh, with the locals taking his body to the nearby temple, which is the only place that has anywhere cold. They have like one cold compartment that they can put one body in for a few days. Uh, and she's trying to navigate then the police report. The police want to say that it was a drunk drowning. Uh, some kind strangers who saw the whole thing happen go with her and help her uh, talk to people at the local clinic. She has to navigate by herself the process of getting to uh, the embassy and getting his body released and then eventually taking it back to his family. Uh, he was Australian. She's from uh, the U.S., but she, like, she has to call his mom and tell his mother that her son has died suddenly. Uh, and the book moves between that moment that happened in 2002, uh, flashbacks to uh, her and Sean's life together, how they met. They met while they were traveling and they traveled. Sort of travel was the thing that defined their relationship. Uh, so we get to learn about stories of other travel experiences that they had together. And then what happened after that afternoon in Thailand, after uh, she started the grieving process. Uh, she's a marine biologist and she couldn't bring herself to get back in the water for a year, but she also couldn't stay still. The thing that felt most natural to her was to continue traveling, to continue doing the thing that she and Sean would have been doing together. Um, so that's what she does. A couple of weeks after his death, she packs up and just goes off to Eastern Europe to travel around. Um, and the bulk of the book is a memoir of those experiences. Uh, it's very raw. Um, she's She puts you right back into sort of getting lost in a strange city. And it's 2002, so Eastern Europe is not nearly as developed at that time as it is now. There's not a lot of infrastructure for tourism. She mostly doesn't speak the languages in the places that she's going. She's uncomfortable a lot of the time. And she's just wrestling with how sad she is, but how moving from place to place seems to be the right decision to make. So it's not like other travel memoirs where there's a whole lot of like reflection after the fact about the experience. She puts you right into like, I was wandering the streets and I saw these things and here's what I thought at that time from journals that she kept. Um, and it puts you right into what that experience of being somewhere totally foreign to you is while you're already not really yourself um, as she's working through it. It's really, uh, it's like very, it's very powerful. It's sad, but also I felt like it was very redemptive of uh, having made something of that sorrow of having uh, gone to new places as a way to figure out who you are going to be after a significant event and really brave to like basically have turned your journals of a very tender, difficult time into a book that other people can experience. Uh, so not my typical like travel writing fair, more of a, I would actually say not really a travel memoir, um, even though that's kind of how it's getting positioned. It felt closer in tone to me to like wave by Sonali Dharana Yagala about losing her family in, um, in the tsunami and uh, other books like that, that were, that are really about moving through grief and loss. And this one happens to be about moving through grief by literally moving yourself all over the place. Uh, so again, it's traveling with ghosts by Shannon Leon Fowler. Yes. 
And that brings us to our next sponsor. Penguin Random House Audio is back this week, and we get to talk to you about Volumes, which is their free audiobook app. Uh, you can get free audiobooks through it, as well as sample new content. The app is new and improved. You can download it from the iTunes store now. Uh, if you are into audiobooks or you've been thinking about giving them a try, this would be a great place to do it, since they do have free audiobooks that you can sample in the Volumes app. If you have been listening to audiobooks for a long time and you're looking for a new source or I don't know maybe you don't want to be listening to audiobooks through an app that's run by a very large corporation inside the world of publishing uh, or you can choose a certain one that people don't like you can choose uh, the Penguin Random House audio app instead again it's called Volumes you can download it from the iTunes store now and check out free audiobooks and also sample new things so thanks to them for sponsoring yay all right, lady, what's up next? My next book is for people who really enjoy just nasty, horrible characters, I think. Um, if you like a hot mess, if you like to feel good about your family by reading about really dysfunctional families, then Dead Letters is the book for you. It's by Kate Dolan Leach. It's about two twins named Ava and Zelda. Uh, they're very close um, they grew up in a super dysfunctional family. Their mom is an unstable alcoholic, which is good considering that they own a vineyard. You know, that's a good place for her to be. Um, they've kind of grown up sort of feral. They've just run around and done whatever they wanted because her their parents are always just so busy fighting with one another. And, you know, when they're young, their father divorces their mother and, and their mom falls apart even more. Um, and they just have each other to rely on, except at some point... Uh, there is a betrayal, and now Ava is 22. She has left home, left school. She's living in Paris. She's been in Paris for two years, and she receives a phone call from her mother who says that Zelda has burned the barn down around herself. Like, her twin Zelda has died, and she needs to come home you know, immediately. So Ava gets on the next plane. She goes home. Her mom's a mess. Um, nobody really knows what happened, except that the barn behind the house has burned down and, and they suspect that Zelda was in there. Um, so the police are investigating. Her father comes home. Uh, she runs into an old boyfriend. And then she gets an email from Zelda. And she's like, um, okay. And Zelda is sort of talking to her like she might still be alive. And all of a sudden, Ava starts getting these clues. And for as many clues as she receives suggesting that Zelda is still alive. She receives clues that suggest that she is dead. So you have, like, no idea, like, what's going on. If she, if it's true, if she's just playing with her. Um, in the meantime, she's trying to take care of her mom, who, who can't remember things. She keeps thinking that she's Zelda. Um, and in between the mystery of, like, what happened to Zelda, is she alive, isn't she alive, there are stories that Ava remembers about when they were twins and, you know, times that they had together that were great. And then there's a thing about the betrayal, um, and she continues to receive clues. Zelda has, like, this very Amy Dunn voice. Like, she mm. knows that she's, like, really messing with her sister's mind. You know, whether... But we don't know if she's messing with it now or if this is, like, something that she had set up in the past. Um, like I said, it makes you feel really good about your own family. Um, everyone <laughs> is just, like, a hot, selfish mess. But it's so much fun. Again, it's called Dead Letters by Kate Dolan Leach. 
Uh, in thinking about traveling with ghosts, I started thinking about other books that I've read about travel that weren't really straight travel memoirs. And that led me to one. Yeah. Well, yes. Pat the Bunny is really about so many things. <laughs> uh, it led me to a book that it's been a while since I read it, but every time I think of it, I'm like, oh, right. I should go pick that book up again. Uh, it's A Field Guide to Getting Lost by Rebecca Solnit. I talked about her book, Hope in the Dark, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it's one of those things, like, it reminds me also to think about this book and Hope in the Dark next to each other. And then uh, Men Explain Things to Me, which is another of hers that reminds me sort of how far ranging her mind is and how she's able to go both broad and deep into subjects. Uh, So A Field Guide to Getting Lost is about being lost both physically and spiritually kind of, uh, that there's being lost in a new place where you don't know what you're doing or where you're supposed to go or literally where you are. Uh, and then there's being lost sort of just in life where we don't know what story to tell ourselves about what's happening to us. Uh, and the, the essays, it's the book is a collection of linked essays, uh, linked more by the fact that they are linked in her mind than in anything that's like obvious on the page. Uh, if you were just, if someone just handed you all of those essays and were like, what would you call this? You probably wouldn't call it a book about travel, but it, it, it came to mind for me. It's, I thought really beautiful and wandering in a way that is fitting for a book about being lost and being okay with being lost. She is essentially making the argument that if we never get lost, we're not really living. Like you're not taking any kinds of risks or seeing what the world has to offer. If you always know exactly where you are and what you're doing. Um, I think that works in our reading lives too. If you, if you never read something that you're like, what's happening or that feels like you're being pushed in some way, you're not going far enough. And so there were, there were interesting, um, parallels for me as I was revisiting it and thinking about it that, you know, she's suggesting if you get lost, you should sort of revel in it and celebrate it. And that's, I, I think easier to do in physical places. You can be like, I'm in a new city. I have no idea where I am, but it'll be an adventure figuring it out. Like that's a useful framework. It's a lot harder when you're talking about like a relationship or making a job change or some big decision that you feel totally lost about. It's a lot harder to like to revel in that. Um, and I think if you're thinking about either travel or sort of the travel of life, uh, to be (laughs) a little woo about it. Uh, it's a, it's just a great book and she's such an interesting thinker. It's challenging in places. It's a little boring in places I remember, but it almost felt like it was intentionally boring in places in the way that some parts of travel are just boring. Um, if that sounds good to you, pick it up. Uh, it's a field guide to getting lost by Rebecca Solnit. I get lost a lot, but my boyfriend makes me wear a collar with a bell on it so he knows where I am all the time. <laughs> well, and it's always nice to match your cats. Yeah, it helps like when I sneak up on birds, too. <laughs> there were so many birds in your yard the other day. I was sh- like, I was looking through your Instagram story and I had to show Bob. So That's like a I regular imagine, day. <laughs> I imagine they're grateful for your little bell so they know when you're coming. <laughs> yes, they're so much fun to watch. But the pigeons, we have a lot of pigeons. Like the first year we moved in. We had, like, a pigeon who was like, this is my secret spot where I get seed. (laughs) And now, apparently, he's either told somebody who betrayed him or I don't know what, but now there's, like, 20 pigeons that come at one time. And they land on the roof over my office first, and so it always sounds like like, just this loud, like, I'm like, oh, pigeons are here. (laughs) It's hilarious. The neighbors just hate me. (laughs) It's too bad they're not chickens, so we can't come full circle with the justice chickens. Oh, yeah. 
dressed as chickens. <laughs> um, yay, in jokes. So, my next pick, I did two new books, and now my next pick is actually a book that came out in 2011, but I just got around to reading it because they just announced the sequel is coming out at the end of this year. And that book is Akata Witch by Nettie Okafor, and it's fantastic! Have you read it? I have not. I guess I missed what I didn't realize it was that old. I didn't realize it came out in 2011. I thought it was like a couple of years ago. Um, but everyone I know loves it. They call it the Nigerian Harry Potter. And it is indeed oh. magical and fantastic. And like I said, the sequel is coming out in November. Um, so it's about a girl named Sunny. She is 12 and she lives in Nigeria. Her parents are Nigerian, but she was actually born in the United States and lived in New York City until she was 10, and then her parents decided to move back to Nigeria. Um, and she's not having a great time of it. Sunny has albinism, and the kids tease her a lot. They make fun of her because her hair is blonde, and they tell her that she is the color of sour milk. And she's also very sensitive to the sun, and so the kids just pick on her all the time. She's not popular at school. And shortly uh, after the book starts, she has this strange vision, 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 <laughs> vision, she's staring into a candle flame, and all of a sudden, she sees some scary stuff, and she's like, I don't even know what to make of that, I must have been hallucinating, you know, but she goes to school the next day, and she gets in a fight, and she ends up being protected by a boy named Orlu, and he introduces her to her, his friend named Chi-Chi, and long story short, they become friends, and she, they explain to Sunny that they have magical abilities, and so does she. And they take her to uh, their teacher, and they teach her about juju and magical history, and it turns out that, you know, she does indeed have these powers, um, and so she's, like, studying magical history, and shortly after this starts, I think I've said shortly, like, five times now, um, <laughs> they, the um, teachers and the people of their community, the magic community, they ask the kids for help because there is a magical serial killer on the loose. It's like serial killer but worse because they have magic powers. Um, it's it's so wonderful and fantastic and obviously magical. It's this great book about belonging and it was so inventive and original. I'm very excited for the sequel. So if you like magic and Harry Potter and fun, it is called A Cat -A Witch by Nettie Okafor. I'm going to have to read that. It's so good. I also adore the cover. It would make a fantastic tattoo. It's just absolutely Ooh. wonderful illustration. Awesome. Uh, we're moving right along. We don't have a second sponsor this week, so we're just going to keep on rolling through my next recommendation. I just finished this on audio. You talked about this book, I think, at our Book Riot Live recording, yeah, yeah. but like recording live shows puts me in a fugue state, so all I remember <laughs> is that you talked about it. Uh, it's Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, uh, and it is fantastic on audio. Even I say that as a person who, like, I'm not really a fan of the Trevor Noah Daily Show, uh, but I I think he's really interesting. And this is his memoir of growing up in South Africa. He was born during apartheid to a black woman and a white man uh, where it was illegal for them to have a relationship. It was illegal to be a colored person. That's what they uh, called people who were half black and half white under apartheid. And so he was like his existence was 
illegal. His childhood was shaped by that, that uh, if his, if he and his mother were walking in certain neighborhoods, they would have to have uh, a different person walk with them to make him blend into whichever neighborhood was appropriate. Since it was obvious, he's very light skinned. And so it was obvious that uh, his mother was a dark skinned black woman and he was not uh, the product of two black people getting together. And that created all kinds of challenges for his family. Um, and so the story is about his young life growing up in South Africa. Um, I, you know, I don't really know much about, he's about our age. I think he's actually a little bit younger than me. Um, and already so successful. It's just not right. Um, but it's so, it's just so good. It's interesting. It's a really funny, it's one of those audiobooks that feels like you're just driving around, uh, with a smart, interesting friend who has a bunch of stories. Like he, uh, he tells a, a great story about being five years old, uh, and that they have an outhouse in their house or out of their house. Cause that's what an <laughs> outhouse is. Uh, but so his family would use an outhouse, but he had seen that people put newspapers down on the floor for their puppies. And he gets left alone uh, with his blind, I think, great grandmother or older aunt. I can't remember the relationship. Uh, and he decides while she's there to supervise him but can't see what he's doing, that he's going to try going that way. And he discovers like the, the glorious freedom of pooping somewhere that's not an outhouse. And it is the funniest thing I have listened to in a long time. I was texting our colleague Clint, who had listened to it previously, like, oh, my God, you didn't tell me about the poop story. Uh, and there are just some great ones all the way up through his life. Pranks that he and his friends pulled uh, mixed in with how he came to understand who he was as a person who very often did not fit in anywhere um, because he was neither black nor white. Uh, it's a really great story. And if you don't know much about apartheid or about what life would have been like, you know, for a real person, I think we all know, you know some things about the history of apartheid, but you don't hear very many stories being told. And so Trevor Noah is in a unique position to tell those stories. It was such a pleasure to listen to. If you're looking for a good audiobook, and there's substance there, like a lot of my audiobook listening is like really frothy celebrity memoirs, but there's really good stuff to sink your teeth into here. It's Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. I really enjoyed that it pretty much stopped, like once he was like an adult. Like there's yeah. no like here's how I became famous and here are the clubs that I started performing in. And like, it's like, that's it. Like I'm done being a teen and it stops there. Like, yeah. It's nice. I like, I mean, that. it leaves him room to write more books, but I liked that too, that it wasn't like my story is important because I eventually ended up famous, yeah. but my story is important because everybody's story is important and I just get to tell mine. I really liked that. My last book is some way back list. Um, I'm going to mention something and I don't, know if other people feel this way or if I'm just a sensitive weirdo, but I get really sad when I discover an author, like a new author, or not new, but like I discover an author that I love who had been alive like at some time in my life um, and has since died, but I didn't discover them until after they had died. Like mm. I, f like I feel bad like I wish that I could mourn them like I would have been like I appreciated you while you were alive I mean now it's completely different because you can be like you know tweeting at authors and, and on their Facebook page and stuff but I mean it's not like I would know this person but does that make any sense yeah like so I like Muriel Spark for instance or Harry Cruz and now my new obsession is Michael McDowell 
Um, he, he died in 1991, you know, so he was alive for a lot of my life and, and I've just discovered him now and I, and I feel like, oh, I wish, you know, I'm so sad that he's dead and I wish that I had been able to be like, oh, you know, anyway, I might just be a sensitive weirdo, but, um, I am like a bit obsessed with him now. I heard about him recently. Um, he was a very prolific writer and screenwriter. He wrote a little something called Beetlejuice. You might have heard of that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it was popular. Um, he, and he was, like I said, he was very prolific. He wrote several novels. Um, the one that I read was called The Elementals. It came out in 1981. It has some shades of Beetlejuice. Like, I was reading this, and there's, like, creepy things in a big house, and a teenage girl who walks around with a camera taking photos of everything, and there's sand dunes, and I was like, oh, I can see, like, where he gets his stuff. Oh, interesting. It's pretty good. Um, so the story itself is about two families, the McCrays and the Savages. It opens in Mobile, Alabama. The matriarch of the Savage family has just died, and we are treated to a really bizarre funeral practice that I'm not going to spoil for you. Um, now everyone's really sad, though, that, you know, the Mama Savage has died. So the two families, which are comprised of... The matriarch of the McRae family, her two grown children, Lee and Luker. His name is Luker. It's unusual to me. Um, Luker's teen daughter, India, and Lee's husband, Dauphine, who also happens to be the Mama Savage's son, and the Savage's maid all decide to travel to the family's vacation homes, this very exclusive hidden sort of vacation spot called Belmare, which is on the Gulf in Alabama. It's basically three homes... That you have to, like, you can travel to them by car unless it's high tide and then you have to, like, take a boat. Like, it's very secluded. Um, one of the homes belongs to the McCrays. One of the homes belongs to the Savages. And the home the, that they call the third house is sort of half sunk in a sand dune. And at this point, nobody remembers, like, who used to own it or who owns it now, really. It's just, like, the whole front of the house has been covered up by sand. Um, so, of course... India wants to go into this house. She's like, what's with this creepy empty house? And everyone's like, oh, it's nothing, you know, whatever. So the first opportunity that she gets, she climbs up onto the dune and starts to look in the windows and she sees something in there. Yeah. And so she like, she's kind of freaked out. And then she starts talking to like her dad and her aunt and her uncle. And they're like, well, you know, we kind of had terrible feelings about that house when we were little, but we seem to have forgotten all about them. Um, and she learns that there have been some deaths that occurred at Belmare. And as their vacation goes on, whatever it is in the third house doesn't want to be left alone anymore. It Ooh. wants to come out and, and visit with everyone. Um, it's scary. <laughs> you and your scary books. Yeah, I like it. Um, like it's, it's not a very big book. It's like 200 pages. And there's a good stretch of it where it's like intense and you're like, okay, whatever. But then like McDowell just unleashes the scary and you're like, oh, hell no. <laughs> and I, th- I felt like he did a really good job explaining or kind of like rationalizing why the people in the story would go in the house even when they're like terrified of it. You know, because usually like you're mm-hmm. watching a horror movie and you're like, don't go in the basement. That's stupid. Why would you do that? But like in the book, the, the he explains like why they decide to like go in the house and and even though they're scared. And it, it's like, I'm like, okay, all right, I can see that. Um, it's fantastic. It's a little dated. There are a couple of expressions or words that I was like, yeah, we don't really say that anymore. That's gross. But it's, it's scary and fabulous. And I loved it. It's called The Elementals. There you have it. 
Are you going to be rolling through his work in chronological order or just sort of diving in? No, I'm diving in. I'm in the middle of The Amulet, which came out in 1979. Woo! Yeah. I like it. Well, cool. The, uh, the first thing I saw about it said, like, um, people with weak constitutions, beware. I was like, sold! <laughs> I'm in! Here we go! That is, like, that is, they might as well just put a big light on it that's like, Liberty Hardy, this book is for yeah. you. It's also, like, I was looking at it online, and it, the new cover is gorgeous, but, like, it, it has that feel, like, old horror books used to have, like, those covers that they just can't replicate anymore. Mm-hmm. And it just, the whole nostalgia thing, like, the whole thing, I just loved everything about it. Nice. Well, my last pick is the book that I was gonna spend yesterday with, and then the sunshine got the better of me. So this is a looking forward to, it's a paperback release this week. I didn't hear anything about this when it came out last year. I don't know if that's my fault or the publisher's fault or both, uh, but it was a Man Booker nominee, and now it's in paperback, so I think more people are talking about it, and rightfully so. It's The Year of the Runaways by Sanjeev Sahoda. Uh, he is a British novelist. This is a book about four young Indian immigrants who have just arrived in England, uh, and it's about the immigrant experience there, sort of the daily struggle um, and the drive that causes people to leave the place that they're from and go somewhere new. Uh, important right now to be thinking about immigrant experiences, not just in the U.S., but all over the world. And it's been compared to uh, Jhumpa Lahiri, Salman Rushdie, and Abraham Verghese, all of whom I love. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to picking it up. Uh, hope, like, hopefully the universe will give me a cloudy day uh, sometime soon because I've read and heard really wonderful things about it, but it's a little heavy for my beautiful sunny day. So I didn't get there yesterday, um, but I'm really, really looking forward to picking that up in paperback. It's also been uh, widely recommended for book clubs. So if your book club is looking for it, um, like it's a debut. The Guardian said it was excruciatingly well-written. The New York Times wrote wonderful things about it. So I've got my eye on it for sure. It's The Year of the Runaways by Sanjeev Sahota. It's really, it's a perfect novel. Oh. It's really heavy, though. Like, really heavy. <laughs> but fabulous. Yeah. yeah, I have some travel coming up, and then, you know, maybe I will recover from that and be able to pick it up. But I'm, uh, it's sitting on my desk with me, so I'm, like, not going to forget about this one. Excellent. Okay, those are our new books. What are you going to read now? I'm going to read some more Backlist. Um, I don't know how this one escaped me when it came out, but it was like one of those books that I kept meaning to read and just never did, and it's The Thirteenth Tale by Diane Setterfield. Uh And you love a book within a book. But like, I didn't even know anything about, I don't know how I missed it. Um, And I've had a couple of false starts. I've been like, I'm going to read that next, and then like work reading is like, no, you have to do this. So I'm really going to sit down and read it, though. Um, and it sounds like perfect for me. I don't know how I never got to it. So what are you going to read next? I don't know what I'm going to pick up next, but I just got new credits uh, for audiobooks, and I downloaded Wishful Thinking by Carrie Fisher. Oh. Or Wishful Drinking. Wishful Drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I swear I have not been wishfully drinking. Uh, I have never read any of her books, and after she passed away, people were talking about what a great writer she was and how inspiring, and I didn't realize that I didn't realize that her books were more than frothy celebrity memoirs, which like I'm down with that, but I'm really excited now that I know that um, there's more to them than that. It felt more urgent uh, to find out more about her story. So I'm going to be spending my drive around and walk the dog time with Carrie Fisher for a little bit. I 
liked The Princess Diarist, but when I was reading it, like, you just want to go back and be like, oh, honey, (laughs) you know, like, you're you're involved with a married man, he's too good for you, but then you're like, oh, Harrison Ford was so hunky, like, I would have done the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, you can't really falter there. She she was so amazing, and her self-esteem was like like at the bottom of the barrel. I mean, she had none and she like she like talks about, you know, like that relationship that she had with them with him and you were just like, "Sure, but you're so amazing." We promise you're so amazing. Aww. Yeah, it was good though. Well, that's our show this week. Thank you to our sponsors Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com/books to get your free 30-day trial with a Third Love bra. Make sure you use their sizing tool so you're spending your 30 days with a bra that fits you the right way. And to Penguin Random House Audio and the Vol- volumes app download that from the itunes store to get free audiobooks and sample new content if you've got something for us you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com or hit us up on twitter i'm rebecca shinsky s-c-h-i-n-s-k-y liberty is miss liberty and if you've got a minute to rate or review the show on itunes we would love to hear from you and it helps other book lovers who are looking for a podcast to find their way to us And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And I would like to say Bill Schritt's name correctly, but we're out of time. (laughs) I'm only going to do that one time. That's it, I swear. (laughs) And in the meantime. In the meantime. (laughs) Happy reading. Happy reading. reading.